You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Today, we're at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Major General Mancino. Um, Tommy, you go by, I guess. Tommy, please. Which, uh, thank you uh, for coming down. Uh, excited to dive into your story, hear a little bit about the Oklahoma National Guard and, and your involvement in it. Um, obviously, you know, chatting before, your family's pretty involved with it as well. So we'll get into all that. But um, I guess starting off, I mean, what is the general state of the union with the Na- Oklahoma National Guard at the moment? So the Oklahoma National Guard, I think, is in a, in a really good spot. Um, my predecessors and uh, men and women, 8,600 men and women, uh, soldiers and airmen of the Oklahoma Army National Guard and Air National Guard, I think are really doing a great job for the country. They've, uh, over the last 20 plus years now, well, more than that, since uh, 9-11 and the war on terror, they've been called upon multiple times to deploy, leave their families, uh, to deploy overseas in support of the nation. And they've also had an opportunity, often in in, uh, dire circumstances, to support Oklahoma. Of course, we did COVID-19. Prior to 9-11, we were involved in the Murrow bombing, uh, Katrina. These are all things that has occurred in what I would call kind of the post-Vietnam era of the National Guard. And the National Guard has several different eras, and we can talk about that if Mm -hmm. it's of interest to your listeners. But the history of the National Guard, I think, is fascinating in Oklahoma the Oklahoma National Guard in particular has a strong history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we can definitely dive into all the history of the Oklahoma National Guard because the general person listening to this probably doesn't have any idea, right? They just see, you know, you guys around or they see the facility and everything you're doing and or maybe you're on the news, but definitely dive in. We can dive into the history. Before we do, though, tell me a little bit about your history and like your Oklahoma story. So I grew up in Oklahoma. I'm a native born and uh, raised here in Oklahoma. I grew up in Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my family moved to Broken Arrow when I think there were under 8,000 or so residents, and now there's 150. I'm just throwing that number out, but Broken Arrow is huge. Uh, I think all of Oklahoma has really, uh, over the course of my life now, some uh, 53 years, is really just kind of uh, it's gone gangbusters. And uh, I have had an opportunity to live outside the state. I spent some time in Florida, spent some time in Silicon Valley, but there's nowhere I would rather live and raise my children than here in Oklahoma. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, girl, you're right. Broken Arrow. I mean, I, I, one of my best friends in college was from uh, Broken Arrow, and and you know, we he now moved back, and I've been up to visit him a few times, and yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a scene up there now, and I think it's great things are going on. Yeah, I th- there's just a lot of activity, a lot of activity in in, in a lot of places here in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City, uh, the area where downtown here, you know, uh, 30 or 40 years ago, um, wasn't the same. Uh, Bricktown has gone crazy. The Oklahoma downtown scene has has, has really gone. Uh, gangbusters, if you will. And I think Tulsa was a little behind in that movement, the downtown area, but it's coming along. And uh, Broken Arrow itself as a kind of a rural community is just going, or not a rural community, but a, uh, a, a community neighboring Tulsa has just expanded tremendously. And uh, it's really good yeah. things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I now live in Norman. I better mention that for my Norman <laughs> uh, fellow Normanites, and I'm very excited to live in Norman as well. Yeah, there is a big golf tournament coming to Norman this, this year and for the next five years, which I have the pleasure of being a part of um, on the logistics side, not on the golfing side, sadly. Uh, is that going to be at the OU It will be at Jimmy okay, Austin. Sure, yeah, yeah. wonderful. June 22nd to the 25th, I think. Uh, Corn Ferry Tour will be in town, which um, as a golfer, that makes me really happy. So golf in, a, golf in the States, great. Um, growing up then, uh, you know, what, what is kind of your kind of not earliest memory, but just kind of what do you remember about, you know, kind of growing up around, you know, family in the house? Was it quite a military presence in the house? So, yeah, my father uh, was a school teacher when uh, I was young, and he went on to be an entrepreneur, uh, owned a boat business in Broken Arrow, Triple K, for those of you that remember, there's not that many marinas in Broken Arrow. And uh, so he had an opportunity to, to do that. And really, I had kind of the idyllic life, uh, middle class. Uh, I had, uh, you know, two parents, stable home, uh, nuclear family. It was very fortunate in, in all of that. Uh, but my father, uh, I tell the joke that my father said uh, he was going to help his recruiting numbers so that I was either going to get in the National Guard uh, when I turned 17 and a half or I could get out of the house. Now, that's a joke, but uh, I wanted to do it. There was a strong uh, incentive for me to follow in my father's footsteps. I saw what he was doing in the National Guard and how much he really loved it. And I thought I'd give it a try. So when I was 17 and a half, a junior in high school, I joined the National Guard and been doing that for the last 36 years, almost 37 years now. So So, kind of rolls off my tongue. It seems it doesn't seem that long ago. So things go by quick. Time does go. I'm I'm realizing that time goes by very fast, uh, which reminds me to enjoy every single day as much as possible. Spend it in something meaningful. Yes, which for me, I'm trying to convince my wife to let me buy the car that I want and that I can't afford. Um, (laughs) Because my favorite quote is, life is too, what is it, life is too short to drive boring cars? Yeah, that's it. Um, Anyway, so so you see dad, you know, he's a teacher. He starts his own business um, in the, you know, the marine, in the boat business. When, so is he just a part of the National Guard the whole time then yeah, in your childhood? You know, and, and uh, I want to go ahead and tell this story because I think it's important to, to the history. There was a period of time uh, in the 19, late 1960s, I was born in 1969, uh, where Vietnam was raging 
And there were a lot of people, including my father. Sorry, Dad, if you don't like this. I think you made up for it over the, your 40-year career or so. But he got in the National Guard to essentially avoid the draft, and that was common. Um, that's a whole nother story, a whole nother thing we can talk about. But that era of history is something that many of us that didn't live through it don't really fully comprehend. Because in our lifetime, we've always looked at the military in a very strong uh, you know, and favorable light. And, of course, in the late 1960s, the— general consensus was a little different. And that is unfortunate. In fact, I take every opportunity I can to thank our Vietnam era veterans for the way they were treated. Um, but nevertheless, that was an element of the National Guard of that time. Uh-huh. And I said we would talk about the history. Fascinatingly enough, the National Guard, uh, especially from Oklahoma, went to the Korean War, went to World War II, went to the Korean War, was not utilized in the Vietnam War. In fact, no National Guard unit was. There's a few that say they were. They really weren't. That became something known as the Abrams Doctrine, named after the famous General Abrams, who said, we will never again go to war without the National Guard, because when the National Guard goes to war, our communities go to war. And so ever since then, the National Guard has been an integral part of our overseas military operations, and probably will be for the future. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question directly, he gets in uh, to the National Guard uh, primarily because I was young and, and he wasn't ready to go to Vietnam. My mother wasn't into him going to Vietnam, but he found he loved it. And it really became his lifelong passion. Uh, he was in the National Guard for, I think, 40 years, uh, right around 40 years, retired in around... 2005 or six, I want to say. He's going to be mad because I don't have his history exactly memorized. But anyway, he had a wonderful, great career, retired as a general. And uh, as we were talking before, actually had an opportunity to be the first National Guard general officer to take a unit into combat since Korea, um, which was wonderful. And I went with him. I was a young uh, major, so I saw him command that unit uh, in combat, the 45th Infantry Brigade. And... uh, Subsequently, had a had opportunity to command in combat myself. So. Yeah. What I mean, let's go to that. What what's that like? You know, gearing up, training. We're going. Right. You get that. You get that assignment. You get that date that you're going. You know, overseas to combat. What's right. that like? So, um, mo- today, um, that is an experience that a lot more of our National Guard men and women have. Because we are, like we were discussing earlier, uh, and for the benefit of your audience, we've been utilized. So much. Uh, Oklahoma per capita at one point was the most deployed state in the nation. Now, I say that I wouldn't want some other state. We have some other states like our buddies, Arkansas, Minnesota, that also deploy a lot. So I would want that to be fact checked. But we are right up there at the top. And I think the really important takeaway is that that our men and women uh, mobilize a lot. And so when we mobilize, what's that mean? Well, to the National Guardsman or woman, that means you're getting ready. You're spending a month or more before you even get overseas, often two months, and, and you know, and weekends up to a year ahead, training to go. And then, of course, you have the stress of your full-time job uh, to deal with because you're leaving that employment, you're leaving your family uh, to go overseas. I'll tell you, it's also exciting the first time, especially that you do it. Uh, we were going into Afghanistan right after the fall of the Taliban uh, in around 2003. Uh, so the state of the country was still very much in flux, and we were one of the first units to train the Afghan National Army. 
Uh, and I subsequently went to Iraq in 2007 and 8, and I went back to Afghanistan uh, in very intense combat in 2011 and 2012. Well, and what's that like with your dad? Like you going like that? I tell people that. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's odd because it's I'm like very odd. Right? You know, I've seen he puts his pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. But uh, he was a much he was a bigger than life uh, character, uh, very well I I think beloved by the men and women in the Oklahoma Guard. Um, and to watch him lead in combat was just an outstanding experience. I mean, I wouldn't be, obviously I wouldn't be here without him. That's the obvious statement right. scientifically, but also I wouldn't be a general officer today if it wasn't for his mentoring and uh, watching him in action and just kind of being around him and many other generals, uh, General General Deering, uh, General Grizzle. There's just a, a number of generals that have been impactful. Mm-hmm. And I left some of you out. I cannot not say General Thompson, Mike Thompson, my mentor and friend, um, pro, who was the adjutant general prior to me. Uh, those kind of guys were just instrumental. Nobody gets here on their own. Yeah. You're, you're mentored and trained by those um, that come before you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So backing up slightly then, you decide at 17 and a half, 18, that's what you're going to do. Um do most people, in most people, come kids, kids quote in quotes, come out of you know high school? They're going to the National Guard. Are they thinking they're going to go to university as well? Like it, you know, because it's quite a big decision to make at yeah. eighteen years old, right? Today, I think more do than did. Okay. Um, and back when I when I joined the National Guard, there wasn't a major educational incentive to doing so. Okay. That's changed, and uh, I'll take a quick opportunity to express to everybody that's listening, thanks to Governor Stitt and the legislature, last year they passed an amazing bill that provides for uh, complete in-state tuition and fee waivers. And you can also be from out of state, and you are eligible for the waiver too, but you are able to waive your tuition and fees. Prior to last year, we had a deal, uh, I call it a deal, we had a basically a handshake agreement, and we were very glad for it with higher ed, that they would waive fees. Um, I'm sorry, that they would waive tuition, excuse me, I got that wrong. But what has happened in the state, uh, in, and, and it's across the nation in higher education, our fees are becoming more and more of a portion of the total tuition package. And in Oklahoma, at our major institutions, that was true. They're roughly at OU equal. I have a daughter going, so I know. She's not in the guard, so I'm very aware. Uh, (laughs) But they're roughly equal. And that had kind of eaten into the educational benefit for our soldiers and airmen. And with the help of the legislature, we were able to pass that legislation. And we are right now having one of our best recruiting years in the Oklahoma National Guard that we've had uh, since about 2010. But that's not true nationwide. And we could talk that, about that a little if you thought it would be interesting, but nationwide, only about 20% of uh, young men and women today are even eligible to enter the military. So right off the back, 80, 80 out of every 100 uh, young men and women, unfortunately, because I think it's such a great opportunity, are excluded. And that can be everything from weight to uh, tattoos to um, wow. an inability to pass the ASVAB. Yeah. So it's not just purely physical. It's like you said. There's no. They, it's they have, roughly, you know, if I was to guess. Uh, yeah. Well, also there is a. There are challenges in getting in the military if you've ever taken a prescription mental health medication okay. or ADHD drug. Sure. I don't want anybody here this thinking, well, I'm not eligible. That's not true. Sure. I want you to go talk to the recruiters and, do, and and see what it is. But there is an element of that too. And uh, with modern technology. 
you're able to see every prescription that a young man or woman has taken. And so a lot of them are at least uh, slowed down in the process for that. It's not a bar. Don't don't take it as a bar. Um, but it is an issue. Gotcha. And all of those combined to make it a very difficult recruiting environment in which in the last year you've had, like, for instance, the Marine Corps not make its recruiting goal for the first time in however many umpteen decades. Yeah. It's a very serious recruiting problem nationwide. We still have a recruiting problem in Oklahoma, but we are uh, – with the help of the legislature and the governor, like I said, working to find solutions for that and, and yeah. doing better, but it's still tough. It's a tough environment. Yeah. So, so you go, you know, you do you make that decision, you go in and, you know, kind of wet behind the ears, right. Yeah, you know, the absolutely. whole like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, right. this is going to be great. And sure. you know, what, what's like, what's that like? Um, Straight to training, I guess. Yeah. So basically we call that, we, what I did, we call a split option and what that means is you're splitting going to basic training one summer uh, between your junior and senior year. So I was actually a soldier when I came back for my senior year, um, which was much more impressive to me than it was to all the young ladies that I was hoping it was impressive to. Sorry, young ladies, if you, if you had to put up with that when I was young. But um, then you go to advanced training, we call it, between after your senior year and between your first year of college. So I did that, and I was an enlisted soldier in the Oklahoma National Guard for about four years, and I was uh, I went to OU, I went to OSU. And uh, I was a part of the OSU ROTC program where I got a commission in 1992. I'm going to have to think about it. You're going to see me go like this for some <laughs> of these dates, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. So basically, I was in that ROTC program and graduated from OSU ROTC as a second lieutenant uh, military intelligence officer in, yeah, 1992. Yeah. Is, is, and this is me not knowing anything and— Maybe my listeners feel the same way when they see, you know, when I saw friends in school that were doing ROTC, is it kind of like, you know, yes, you're going to school, but you're also doing, you know, military stuff on the side, like an athlete would be going to school and doing athlete stuff on the side. It very much is. In fact, in Oklahoma, we offer a program called College First for members of the National Guard that are in college that want to complete college and they, when they sign up for their enlistment contract, they have, we won't, we, we promise not to mobilize them except in extremists. If there's a major war, all bets are off. But for the mobilizations we've done for the last 20 years, their hands off. We allow them to complete their college work if they choose to. Many choose to deploy because they want that experience, but if they choose to, they, they don't have to do that. Yeah. So what was your initial contract that you signed then? Uh, well, as an as an officer, it works a little differently. Okay. So you basically just raise your hand, and you're an officer, and you can stay as long as the army will have you. Okay. And uh, or or uh, upon you can retire as an officer at any point. That that's an officer. A typical enlistment contract is uh, six to eight years. It can be shorter, mm-hmm. and there's different. We call them tribes, where you may do a, a four by two, where you may stay in the inactive reserve for a period of time. Um, but basically, you're a young man or woman is basically looking at a six year commitment. Yeah. So, so back to you going to Afghanistan with dad to oh three. You're in there about ten, oh, just over ten years. Then. Yeah, I, I, I was freshly promoted to a major by yeah. the time that we had gone. We went to Afghanistan for the first time. Okay. Uh, I had some, you know. Well, it may it may be uh, in, instructive to kind of quickly talk about the differences between the active duty and the National yeah, Guard. Yeah. So there are two different, and you don't have to remember this, listeners, because it's it's most 
active duty folks don't either, but there's two methods of the military in the United States, Title 10 U.S. Code Mm -hmm. and Title 32 U.S. Code. Title 10 U.S. Code is what most people think about when they think about the military. It is the active duty Marines, Navy, Air Force, et cetera. Full-time active duty. Title 32 is the title of authority that governs the National Guard. And its history is much different. It is the direct descendant descendants, if you will, of the militia. So uh, in the United States, um, in the um, you know, 18th century, we fought a war with England. And uh, this is basic common knowledge, but it was the militiamen, right, that did it, the Minuteman. And that's, if, if you look at a lot of our imagery, it's of the Minuteman, uh, the person, the farmer uh, who goes and grabs his his gun and belongs to the militia. And in this country, there is a huge tradition of not having a standing army. I I remind my uh, active duty colleagues of this sometimes, much to their chagrin, but the the constitutional founders really didn't want an army. They didn't want a full-time military. They wanted it to be a militia-based military. And so we, as the National Guard, are kind of the flag bearers and the descendants of the militia. And it basically means that we are I don't like to say part-time soldiers because that diminishes the impact of my airmen and soldiers when they go into combat. Because when we go into combat, we're shoulder to shoulder with the active duty and we're all fighting side by side. But it is true that they don't do it full-time. They maintain a job outside of the military for the most part. We have some full-time folks, but they're very minimal. And that's the structure. And we're there to be called upon uh, for by the state uh, or the nation. The other key factor, and this has come up recently in the coronavirus uh, debate, when Governor Stitt uh, informed the Secretary of Defense that he would not be complying with the Secretary's uh, requirement that everyone be vaccinated. You might have heard about that. Well, I, I, as a general officer in the Oklahoma National Guard, work for Governor Stitt. He is my commander-in-chief. Uh, obviously, uh, President Biden remains my president. And should President Biden choose to activate me, then I will instantly switch and, and I will be on Title 10. And my chain of command will run up to President Biden. Sometimes that confuses people. I take an oath to both the Constitution of the United States and to the Constitution of Oklahoma the president and the governor. And it's it's a little tricky, mm-hmm. especially when those come into conflict, as we saw. Right. But we worked our way through it, and uh, I think that we came out on the other side. Yeah. But that is a, a definitely a different aspect of the National Guard. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because I definitely had no idea. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure some other people wouldn't either, so there's definitely value there. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a lot of people have a career, full-time jobs outside of that. Did you have, or do you have, you know, during that, your time in... in I, I in did. I, I was, uh, I, as I mentioned, I live in, in I lived in... Uh, Tampa, Florida, and I was an ent- a technology entrepreneur. We okay. worked for a company that did artificial intelligence, a startup called Kinetoscope. And I went from that to a job uh, as a venture capitalist, a junior venture capitalist. But yeah. I got to participate in the dot-com boom um, right at the 1998 mm-hmm. through 2000 time frame in Silicon Valley. And that was a very interesting time. Yeah. Came back uh, to Oklahoma to have my um, oldest daughter. I have three children. And my oldest daughter, Charlotte, was going to be born and just didn't want to, uh, my wife and I just didn't want to have our first child in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came back, moved back to Broken Arrow. And I took a job at first with the University of Phoenix. And then eventually I became an associate dean at the Tulsa Community College. So. Okay. 
I did about 10 years of that. Although I'll tell you, uh, during those 10 years would have been the 9-11 time. I probably only spent five years on the job and I spent five years mobilized and deployed. Yeah. In that same time frame. Probably when people meet you, they don't think that you've spent time in Silicon Valley doing tech stuff, do they? No, that's generally a surprise. <laughs> it's the I, don't I, have, to, say I have to prove that yes, I actually can code, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But uh, yeah, and, and I only say that not. Uh, I only say that because I think it's important that young people know that uh, the National Guard is a supplement to what they want to do. It doesn't stop you right. uh, from doing anything that you want to. And a lot of times that's why people choose the guard. Yeah. Um, they have an interest in the military, but maybe they're not sure that that's what they want to do for a career. Mm-hmm. They have an interest in something else. And we have lawyers and doctors and um, computer yeah. programmers, et cetera, uh, that people do for careers. And if you're starting a career, it's also a wonderful place to get skills. Mm-hmm. So growing up then, you had a passion for technology and got to see all that come through and see the, you know, it from computers making a noise, right? You I know, did. Which, Literally. <laughs> I was born TR- in 1990, so I yeah. do remember that just. Yeah, a TRS-80 was my yeah. first computer, and it used a cassette. So you, yeah. uh, those of you that are young don't know what a cassette is, It was, right. but a cassette— um, Think Guardians of the Galaxy, and it would literally, you know, you'd push it and you'd hear the, and uh, yeah, so uh, I've always been interested in computers and had a a passion for technology. I uh, went to school, I left OSU, I left this out, but I better uh, get my credentials in there. I went to OU where I got a, uh, both an MBA and a law degree. Okay. So my first job really was as a management consultant prior to the entrepreneurial Opportunity. It was also in Florida, but I only did that for about a year. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think of Chat GPT four? I love Chat GPT. Yeah, so, Chat GPT three. Three. I'm sorry. familiar with yeah. four. No, you're correct. Four's the new one, right? Four is the new yeah. one, and I haven't played with it yet. Okay. Um, but AI. Well, I as I said, one of my first uh, entrepreneurial activities was an AI company, intelligent yeah. agent company. Um, so, I'm very familiar with artificial intelligence, and it is a fascinating topic that we could probably have a whole other podcast on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating, and anyone that hasn't played with chat gpt yet should yeah it's uh as a friend of mine and a previous guest of the podcast who is kind of going viral at the moment um because he basically gave chat gpt 100 bucks and said make me as much money as possible i saw that yeah jackson he's but from i oklahoma didn't know city. he was from oklahoma that's wonderful yeah, he i think i saw city. a little i didn't actually watch it i saw a little uh youtube yeah uh-huh. clip i think yeah that, so as you say, it's going viral. Well, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so well, he's from here, and he's kind of a tech guy from the design side and, you know, um, what do you call it, like a design agency side. Sure. Well, Oklahoma has some very good uh, firms here. Uh, I won't give any shout-outs to any particular ones because then I'll leave the others off the table. But that we have some really good uh, software development companies here yeah. in the downtown area that— where people just prefer to live in Oklahoma, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it's great, um, and they're doing amazing things. And they and absolutely are. They get to live a cheaper lifestyle in Oklahoma, right? And, Which and is I awesome. fully support our AI overlords. So, <laughs> yeah, the ones that keep <laughs> ones that keep send, sending you stuff on on uh, you know, listening to your phone and sending you ads, right. right? That is a joke for anyone that tries to play this on, on YouTube. Yeah, you're going to. My be... PAOs are wanting to know. Yes, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, brilliant! So. Yeah, you mentioned you get you know nine eleven. I guess happens when you're when you're in your full time job, right? Yeah, actually, I, I was at the University of Phoenix, like I said, for a, a short period of time. I fully remember sitting yeah. in the office, and my daughter was uh, about to be born, 
And uh, I watched the aircraft, the first aircraft fly in to uh, the World Trade Center. There's a story about an Oklahoma Guardsman I should tell about that. Um, Rick Rascorla, and I'll get back to that. Okay, I'll remind you. He's actually Welsh, I think, believe it or not. There's a tie-in here. You're going to like it, but we'll do it right after this. So I watched 9-11, and of course that's horrendous. Um, As a military intelligence officer, the first one I was suspicious of, by the time I saw the second one, I instantly kind of knew in my heart what had happened and was just, you know, mortified along with the whole country. Uh, And then, of course, from there we watched uh, the invasion of of Afghanistan and the invasion of Iraq both of which the Oklahoma National Guard participated in. I didn't, but we had units, especially in the invasion of Iraq, um, that were were participating. And um, after that, it has been a quite regular stream of deployments. In fact, people may not know it, even though we have greatly reduced our operations in Iraq and we have left Afghanistan, the Oklahoma National Guard is as deployed as it has been since 2010. 10 or 2011 this summer. Right now, I have 1,200 soldiers from the 45th Infantry Brigade that are preparing to deploy to Africa. I have uh, soldiers from the 45th Field Artillery Brigade that are in the Middle East. And I routinely, I do not want to leave my Air Guard brother and sisters out. I have Air Guard units. Uh, there tend to be smaller packages that go repeatedly, but they are constantly deployed. And so uh, we find ourselves, even today, uh, continuing to support the nation. Mm-hmm. It, when, when, so when 9-11 happens, does dad call you? Because dad's still kind of running the show in Oklahoma? Well, he, at, so at, at, that, at that point, he was, uh, just, he was in the infantry brigade. And we don't know what's going to happen because the National Guard combat units, uh, like an infantry brigade, had not been used in the prior invasion. There was a little bit of, of history there where units were mobilized but not sent overseas. So that caused a little consternation within the guard community. Um, but um, at one point, to get to kind of where I think you're going, I get a call from my dad uh, saying, you know, hey, get ready because we're going to Afghanistan. And so that was obviously a moment of shock and awe for my mother yeah. and my wife, um, who uh, was now at that point pregnant with my uh Middle son. This will be a theme that recurs. And so uh, basically the, the second time that we go, when, when my father and I, um, actually I got that off. I'm sorry, honey. That was the second deployment. The first deployment was my oldest daughter, as I said, and uh, it was shocking off for her. We do the train up and we go overseas uh, into Afghanistan. And he's the first, like I said, as he will tell you, <laughs> general <laughs> officer to, uh, to, to lead a National Guard unit in combat since Korea. So it's the reversal of that Abrams doctrine that we discussed. The Army at this point was very much wanting to have the National Guard participate because when we go, America goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me the story about Rick and 9-11. Yeah, so um, there's a gentleman that that is just a real hero of mine. His name is Rick Rascorla. Uh, He was, uh, I don't want to get his nationality wrong, he was English writ large, right? Uh, uh, But he had fought in Rhodesia, uh, he had fought in Rhodesia and so had some experience, but he came to, to the United States and he joins uh, the active duty army um, in order to become a citizen. You might have seen the name Rick Rascorla in the book or movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Okay. In fact, if you, that's the, um, the, 
the book version, he's on the cover of the book. And he's quite famous for his role in uh, the Battle of LZ X-Ray, where he, that's the movie as well, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, where he's known for singing body uh, British drinking songs and other songs to keep the morale of his units up. Outstanding combat leader, just an amazing individual, ties to Oklahoma. He comes back to Oklahoma and goes to the University of Oklahoma Law School and is a member of the Oklahoma National Guard at that point. Um, my, he was my father's uh, OCS officer. Okay. So he helps run the OCS program. That's the tie-in. The really fascinating thing about uh, Rick is he, after graduating from OU, he leaves uh, the National Guard and the Army, and he goes and he works for, I want to say Morgan Stanley. It's one of the big uh, named firms in New York. And prior to 9-11, there was also a bombing in, I think, 1986 or so. But he would always uh, train his people to get out of the building. And he would make these very wealthy, powerful stockbrokers do these battle drills, we call them, to exit the building. So after the first bombing, or he's brought in and he evaluates, him and a partner evaluate, and he says, look, if this building gets attacked, it's going to be attacked by a van uh, underground. And that's exactly what happened. And that's an amazing prediction. He makes another more amazing prediction. And this is all documented. He says the next scenario that he was worried about is a plane flying into the World Trade Center. But he suspects that that's significant weakness. Sure enough, 9-11 happens. Uh, he gets all of his folks out, everybody safely out. And the hero he is, he returns up the stairs uh, in the World Trade Center to try to save more people and is killed when the second aircraft hits the building. So he's just a real hero of mine. Uh, you know, it's he has a connection to the Oklahoma National Guard. We have an award every year that we give for leadership, uh, the Rick Rescorlo Award. And I just think that's indicative of, you know, uh, the kind of person he was and then the kind of person and people that we try to emulate here in the, the National Guard. Of course, there's many, many... World War II and Korean veteran heroes that I could go through, uh, you know, ad nauseum. Uh, the 45th Infantry Division, there's a national, there's a Netflix series. Do you know the name of the series? The Liberators. The Liberators. It's an, uh, you might have seen it. It's a one, the 45th has a wonderful history, a wonderful lineage. We are building a new um, museum for the division in the Oklahoma National Guard. Uh, and so that's going to be an excellent thing we're going to get to do as well. Yeah, What's it like coming back from, everyone talks to me, you know, after I ask you, what's it like going to war and going to battle and like, you know, you're going to the desert. What's it like coming back? So it, it's, well, the, the, everything kind of different the first second time and second uh -huh. time or the third or fourth time. Uh, it's great coming back. You're, yeah. it, it depends. So I need to frame this correctly. The first time we went to Afghanistan, the country was, uh, Still in a state of chaos, mm -hmm. but the Taliban had not regrouped to an effective fighting force. So we had we lost at, at that deployment, 2003 and four, nobody in combat. And so it's obviously a different experience when you come back and uh, you're not burdened by losses. In fact, I think Churchill, I'm going to paraphrase, but Churchill said, there's nothing more exhilarating than to get fired mm -hmm. on without effect. Mm -hmm. That's true. Getting shot at's great having somebody wounded or hit or you getting hit isn't. Um, so there's that element of excitement that you that you come off of a combat deployment with. And it's completely different, of course, when you suffer losses. Um, but coming home is just wonderful. You get to see your family. There's that emotional connection, that sense of accomplishment. Um, it's, a, it's a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, 
tempered by when you have losses. And of course, there were losses in between the time we went because the National Guard went uh, several more times. I didn't go on every one. The 180th uh, Infantry Battalion deployed and lost a soldier uh, in that interim period between our deployment and our first deployment and then our Iraq. And, and I'm saying our, it's mostly, I'm, I come at the context of this as the uh, 45th Infantry Brigade, which was the unit, it's the largest unit in the state, and it's the unit that I spent the most time in. There were many other deployments of other National Guard and Air Guard units too. And we also lost uh, some pilots, helicopter pilots and other folks. And uh, But the deployments I was on, the first two, we lost no one. So we went to Afghanistan, and trained the Afghan National Army. And then in 2007 and 8, we went to the Green Zone in Baghdad where we served under General Petraeus uh, in the embassy. And other units did other things that were there. Um, they did prison duty and other things, but we lost. No one, uh, no one was killed in combat. The big third deployment for the Infantry Brigade was into Afghanistan into 2010 and 11, and that was a, the Obama surge. Mm. And the enemy by that point had... Uh, become very well organized, and, and that was a serious fight in which, unfortunately, we had uh, several casualties. And so the returning home is just tempered yeah. by that. That was, the, that was the toughest one? That was the toughest deployment that you'd been That in was the toughest deployment by far, yeah. yeah. That, was the, that was the most act—we were in daily combat. So I, was command, I commanded a Task Force Cheyenne, uh, you might notice we use we have a, a, a big connection in Oklahoma with our uh, Indian heritage and Indian community. And so we uh, take tribe names as our uh, call signs. And as, you know, out of respect, we have Creek. Uh, I was, I was, we have Creek, Cherokee, major tribes that are unit designators. And uh, I was Task Force Cheyenne. And so Task Force Cheyenne was a combat Task Force of Infantry and Engineers in Logman Province, Afghanistan, and the brigade was in several places in Afghanistan. But those were hard; those were hard fights. We were in sustained combat the entire time we were there. Yeah, almost daily engagements. Like just kind of just popping off shots at you, small mortar stuff off the back yeah, of trucks. Yeah, I, I just, think right. It's not so um, you know you see nothing uh, really structured. You see the a D Day invasion. It wasn't anything. Yeah. Uh, it could be that intense, but for small bursts, the enemy's just not. The Taliban, as an insurgency, was never capable of massing enough combat power to challenge you really on the battlefield. Um, but they used IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices, which were just jugs of buried uh, explosives that were made out of fertilizer and uh, very, very crude, but very effective. And by that time, they had really mastered the techniques of their use and they were quite deadly. And um, that and uh, they were also would engage you uh, with small arms. And they knew the terrain. They're an insurgency. Yeah. And you were limited by your ability, appropriately, to react because you didn't want to cause uh, unnecessary civilian casualties. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of constraints um, on operations. But uh, overall, I was extremely proud of the Oklahoma National Guard. And there is a movie, Citizen Soldier, that was made. And uh, you can get it on Netflix. And it covers that period uh, of the brigade's history. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, looking, I'm just chatting, you know, chatting to you now for 30 plus minutes. Like it's, 
you know, the, the positions that you're put in, right? Like the life lessons and then the, the way that you've gone through everything and, and, you know, fortunate and unfortunate on however way you want to look at it, right? Like, you know, seeing friends and, and other soldiers, you know, die in battle is not something you want anyone else to go through. No, in you fact, know? you know, I, th- I think it's a common saying or euphemism, if you will, that the, the soldiers are the ones that know com- that know war. They 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 want peace the most. Yeah, we stand, and that's very much true for for me today. I would well, one, I'm a little old now, and probably not quite in my prime, uh, as my wife will tell you. But the issue is that. You know, young men oftentimes seem to want to prove themselves to go into combat. And that's understandable. And I think that's been the way it has been throughout the history. But by the time you've done that once, twice, or three times, you're more reluctant yeah. because you recognize it's both the sacrifices that your soldiers will and, and airmen will make, and then it's the potential loss. Mm-hmm. And we we can't forget those that we've lost. Right. And, uh, and it, it's just a difference— it, it's it's the maturation of a of a warrior's mindset, I guess, if you will. The Stoic philosophers believe in fortune and the importance of fortune, and you just realize, hey, if I take a step the wrong way on this trail, I hit that bomb and I'm not here anymore. But for whatever reason, I chose to go down this right path, and I'm here today. Versus my colleague that went down the left, mm-hmm. you know, isn't. And yeah. it, it's it it's a mindset. And of course, we have all kinds of problems um, that result from that uh, with PTSD. Uh, suicide remains a horrible problem, uh, a continuing problem. In fact, I, I lost a good friend of mine uh, two weeks ago to suicide, a senior officer in the National Guard. Just a horrible scourge. And we, we do everything we can to stop it. Um, again, I keep coming back to Oklahoma. One of the things about being in the National Guard in Oklahoma, is we have great support from the populace, the legislature, and the governor, mm-hmm. and they've uh, given us an ARPA project. A, a we received the state received a bunch of money from the federal government, a stimulus money related to COVID, and uh, they were kind enough to appropriate some of that for a mental health facility for the National Guard and first responders. And that's one of the things that we're working on that I'm really happy about. It's not going to solve the problem. Right. Uh, I don't think anything is going to solve it. But we're just going to do whatever we can to mm-hmm. make it better. Yeah, that you know, listening to you talk about that, it does seem like it's it, you know, if you're already in the military and, and like that's your career, and you know, you're coming back from a deployment, you're still going to the base, probably all you know, you're still around your guys. Whereas the National Guard has to go back to being a teacher, being a doctor. Like you, 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 you got it a hundred percent. Yeah. So then you've got to suppress that, and it gets worse, right? It absolutely. You know? it, it's absolutely. I I believe harder for a guardsman to transition back into the civilian world than it is for an active duty person. Because one of the reasons is the active, you know, an active duty soldier or airman, sailor, whatever, has the opportunity to, to take advantage of a lot of those functions that the base, let's say, that they're on makes available to them. And we, we do our best to do that. But yeah, we, at basically 30 days or so after you get back, you're, you're back in your civilian job. And we have contact with you once a month. Now, we do a lot. Uh, and, and I have a staff of almost probably now 20 mental health professionals within the state, family readiness type mm-hmm. professionals who do their best to maintain that contact. But you're right. It's if that soldier or airman doesn't want to facilitate that, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You think 30 days ago I was getting shot at in the desert, 
you know, halfway around the world. Yeah, literally. You that's, know? that's a, uh, yeah. Well, I, I often share this because I think it's important for our younger soldiers. So um, PTSD is complex. There's a physical element of it that people oftentimes don't understand. And that results in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, uh, but I experienced it firsthand and I've talked to a lot of doctors. Basically, uh, your cortisol system burns out. You're, you're on edge for a year sure. where every time you hit a bump in the road, you're afraid that that's a bomb. And so you're, you're, you're hyperly vigilant, you're hyper aware, and it kind of just burns out your system. And that's a physical, not, that's a physical problem. Uh, when I got back from Afghanistan, uh, that, that last tour, the one that was significant combat tour, I had a bunch of physical problems. I was 160 pounds. I had sleep apnea. I mean, that's not normal, you know. And, and, and so I went and uh, went to the VA, and uh, they do a great job. And I encourage all our, my soldiers and airmen, go to the VA. And um, I received treatment, and uh, obviously now I'm much better. But uh, it was a significant physical deterrent. But one of the things that was funny is I, I was so hypervigilant that if I heard a noise, I always carried a pistol on my hip. But obviously, when I'm walking around Broken Arrow, I didn't have a pistol. Right. But if a, if a car backfired or a door slammed or you walked up on me, I would do what I called the Barney Fife. And I would grab this at this fake pistol on my hip and I would pull it out and I would like, you know, do this motion where I'm engaging the poor plumber that right. just <laughs> walked around the corner in my house, you know, yelling at him to get down. Yeah. That kind of, and, and it's just like that. But the funny thing is, is it, as fast as it happened, you realize that it wasn't real. And so I would be like, you know, I'd just blow it like Barney Fife. God, no big deal. And my kids thought it was hysterical. You know, they, they'd try to scare me to make me Barney Fife. But, uh, yeah. you know, but those types of things, go, they go, they, over time, mm -hmm. you get better. Because yeah. one of the things I don't want people to do is, is, is one of the problem. it's not a problem, one of the challenges we have with so much outreach in Oklahoma and really around the nation, we have so many nonprofits that support soldiers and everything. I think in, you watch football or you watch whatever sports you oftentimes see. And it would be logical for you to think that, oh, every soldier has these mental problems. Every soldier is broken. That's not true. Right. And, and, and I think we have to fight that. That's probably part of our recruiting problem is they're like, well, I'm not going to get in the military. Look, they're going to send me overseas. That might be interesting, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to be broken. Yeah. That's not true. Um, you know, that's, that's not exactly how it works. There absolutely are elements of people that go over and they, they have problems, but there are many ways today to, to work through those. Yeah. So getting back then from, you know, from that tour and, and going through, like I said, some PTSD stuff, take me through, you know, how you've progressed in through the National Guard over the last 12 years to current day. Great. So the key to getting uh, promoted to two-star general in the National Guard is I'll survive everybody else by <laughs> just, just being, the same, being just there. Being Actually, that's a kind of a joke, kind of not. You know, I think it's instructive for everyone to know, hey, yeah, one element of, of any promoting in any job is, is being there and, and doing the job. I and mean, I've been very fortunate. Um, making colonel in the National Guard is, is, a, is a major accomplishment, more or less a general. And, um, but... I went full, I left in 2014, uh, I had an opportunity, the Army sent me to Harvard uh, Kennedy School for a year as a national security fellow. I always have to stress, I wasn't smart enough to get into Harvard myself, the Army had to send me, so there you have it. But loved that experience, came back from that, and I transitioned to be the, uh, working with my technical skills and everything back into the CIO role. Okay. So I spent, 
I'm going to get the timing wrong, but no one's really going to care. I spent three or four years uh, as the chief information officer uh, for the Oklahoma National Guard. Mm -hmm. And from that, I I had an opportunity uh, under General Thompson to be promoted. And I was what we called the state resource manager or executive director of the National Guard, um, which meant that so the Oklahoma National Guard, again, we have a federal component and a state component. I ran the state component for General Thompson. And then, oh, uh, on veterans, last year, a little bit over a year ago, I had an opportunity um, to become the adjutant general when Governor Stitt appointed me and the legislature was kind enough to confirm my appointment. And I just got promoted uh, basically a year after that to two-star to major general rank. And again, I never would have thought I would be here. Those that know me, I'm sure never thought I would be here either. So the good news to everyone out there is uh, you can do it too. If I can do it, you can do it. Uh, But it is quite an honor. And I think, uh, uh, you know, as we walked up the stairs into the building, uh, of the six or seven portraits that are on the staircase, I think three of them were of general officers, including some that were were from the 45th. So to be a part of that lineage That's cool. is uh, very cool. Yeah. And, and it's just humbling. Yeah. You think, what else am I going to do to be on that room, to be on that wall, yeah. right? It's right. a long way to go. I, I, I tell people a, a lot, you know, that uh, people will come up and they want to get a, a photo with you. And, yeah. and to me, I'm like, you want to get a photo with me? It's like, yeah, just in case I do something. And then you can say, I know that guy. See, look at that. But hopefully you don't do that. That's the, you know, the object is to, not to be uh, right. known in that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, a, it's a, it's an amazing, humbling experience. And, uh, you know, like we talked, it doesn't seem, it seems to me like just yesterday I was in basic training in my mind. I can remember all the stuff I did wrong in basic training. Uh, you know, a lot of guys may come up here and want to tell you all the things they did right. Well, that's boring. I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you, but I did a lot of things wrong. Trust me. <laughs> you know, in, in, a, in a 37-year career, there's a lot there. Yeah. And uh, I've just had some great experiences, um, and I've met great people. And really, I think the key thing is surround yourself with good people. Because if it wasn't for the uh, enlisted soldiers that I had worked for me or the other colleagues of officers yeah. or my senior officers, there is no way mm-hmm. I, I would be here today. Yeah. Well, and, you know, over the last 12 years, obviously there hasn't been, you know, um, you haven't gone to overseas to do other war stuff, you know, and battle or whatever. But, you know, like you mentioned, there's there's currently, you know, Oklahoma National Guard all over, you know. Absolutely. When, when you get to a certain over. rank, and this is fine, they don't yeah. really want you to go overseas. Just like I nice. said, yeah. I'm not quite the spry young yeah. man that I was at one point. You know, it's a young man's game. Yeah. And so, uh, right, uh, we continue to deploy uh, soldiers. In fact, um, one of the soldiers that was a company commander for me in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, Lieutenant Colonel Brent Weiss, is now the battalion commander that's leading the uh, 1,200 men and women over to Africa. So there is this continuing handoff. I'm, I have no doubt one day you may be interviewing Brent yeah. here, you know, uh, 10 years from now as, yeah. as he continues his career. And that's really great to see. Yeah. Where, where kind of I was kind of going with that is that, you know, you know, we, we've had 
May 2013, right? We've had the tornadoes through Norman. We've had multiple snowstorms shut the entire state Absolutely. down. Like, yeah. You guys also help a lot in that as well, right? You assist in... We do. So, you know, so there's not just overseas in fact, battles. So. In fact, we do more of that than anything else. And, and, and very much that is, uh, like I said, I work for the governor. And so the governor is responsible for the state of Oklahoma. And so that is obviously a very big part of my portfolio. It doesn't often uh, get, you know, the kind of attention that, that deploying into combat does. Sure. But it's absolutely as critical. And if you're the person, the floods a few years ago that we were rescuing you, uh, to you, that means everything in the world. Yeah. When we show up to, unfortunately, the more tornado, uh, I was there with that. Um, there was a National Guard soldier I'm very familiar with that was, uh, you know, he's actually rescuing a mother and a child. And then the child literally gets ripped out of his hands, not to discuss it, but just to show you the kind of heroic activity. He was my machine gunner uh, in my vehicle in Afghanistan. And here he is, you know, trying his best to rescue and save. And he did save the mother, wasn't unfortunately not able to save the child. But if you can imagine the horrendousness of that, and he throws himself right in there. That's the kind of soldiers we have. And I could tell stories like that all day long. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's, enough stories to fill many movies and many books, right? Like it's it's no shortage right. of, of of just heroics from everyday human beings that just happen to be in right. the city of the National Guard. They, they, they're at the wrong place at the right time, I yeah. like to say, you know, uh, and, and they rise to the, the occasion. And mm-hmm. uh, very, con- yeah, I can, we can tell those stories all day. Yeah. How, uh, I mean, just coming to current day, where, where do you see things going? What, uh, you know, I don't sound. It doesn't sound like you want to retire anytime soon, or and, unless you I, want to dive into I serve chat at GPT. The, I go. serve at the pleasure of the governor, um, and you know it, it's an interesting question because uh, I'm very much aware that this is probably what I call my terminal assignment, and uh, that's that's wonderful. I, yeah. uh, you know the the opportunities to go on in the National Guard, uh, they're very limited. Um, basically, every time you go up a rank in the military, one third. Of of the of the folks, you know, it's it's a one third, one third, one third. It's like working your way up a pyramid. So, here we have roughly in the army, we have three one star generals and we have one two star general. So, if you look at that nationwide, there's very few three and four star generals. And uh, the opportunity to spend the rest of my career here in Oklahoma helping do what what I do is is, is all that I could ask for. And yeah. I, I I will retire. Um, they will make me, but uh, they'll have to make me because yeah. I just love it so much. You know, I mean, I think that that's very common um, for for people like my father. Uh, there will come a day, and uh, I will retire. But uh, hopefully, yeah. that's a, a, f- a few years in the future. For, the other thing is, for someone who's kind of a tech guy, what's it like being involved in the military and the, some of the tech that you guys get to use? That some of the times is you know a lot. You know, you're right. the guys, the first guys to use it over general population, right? Yeah, I think there uh, is an opportunity, especially with cyber. So I was fortunate that my first job I, I alluded to was with uh, Ernst & Young as a management consultant. I actually did. At the time, we didn't call it cybersecurity. That wasn't a term. It was yeah. internet system security. But it was essentially cybersecurity. And right before I transitioned to be a general officer, I became a cyber officer, an Army cyber officer. And I think the, to answer your question, there's a ton of very interesting and cool technology. I have to kill you if I told you about that. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's out there and you do get exposed to it in the military. It's a wonderful training environment. It's an opportunity to see the latest and greatest and to use it, mm-hmm. right? Because we can all read Wired Magazine or, you, you know, watch something on YouTube about uh, a cool piece of technology, but to actually use it 
and get that hands-on experience is one of the things the military really offers. Yeah, that that would, you know, you're right. Using it is just, you know, you get to just experience it and see what this stuff really does, right? And then, you know, maybe two or three years later, you see it on the street and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I get that stuff. Right, and, <laughs> and it like. works both ways too for the National Guard because one of the unique aspects of the Guard is we can leverage those unique civilian skills that our members have on active duty. And the active duty figured that out very early. So I'm aware when we were in Baghdad, for instance, we actually had a specialist, which is a, a, a lower ranking enlisted member, uh, National Guard member, wasn't from Oklahoma, but uh, from um, New York, I think, but he was a investment banker. And so he wound up running the Iraqi uh, banking system right after the war because he was an investment banker. So that rank immaterial thing, uh, you know, played out to where he was the expert. And because he was a guardsman, the army was able to leverage that experience, kind of reverse yeah. or reciprocal. So we look, we always have uh, tradesmen, plumbers, et cetera, that are in high demand every time we mobilize because they have the skills that the army can be lacking in, but that are needed. Yeah, so, and they've been doing them forever, right? That's their day job, you know. So, and you know, and they can a corollary to that is post-Vietnam, to come back to that, we had some incredible helicopter pilots in Oklahoma that had flown in combat in Vietnam yeah. that remained in the Oklahoma National Guard. And early on in the war, you may have seen a famous picture of a, of a Chinook, a big two-bladed helicopter, like at a... You know, ninety degree angle landing on that. Sure, that was our guys. Wow, they were some of the best pilots and remain some of the best pilots in the army. Yeah, um, because they had that experience, and it, that doesn't occur on the active duty because in the active duty they tend to rotate twenty years, they leave. Sure. These guys were thirty plus year chief warrant officers that had flown combat in, in, in Vietnam. They were amazing. That's amazing. So that's Super another unique aspect too. of the National Guard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finishing up with some quick fire stuff just because it's fun to do. Um, what's your favorite food? Italian. Last name Mancino, so I'm going to go with lasagna. Okay. Where do Final you, answer. Where do you get uh, a great Italian other than family food in so, City? So um, I don't eat out a lot. Okay. We wind up making it at home, but my I would I would point out that my grandfather, not my grandmother, okay. but my grandfather uh, was an immigre from Italy um, and came to Oklahoma from New York. He was a short man. My grandmother was an Irish immigration immigrant. She was very tall, so was very short, very tall man. He made the best lasagna. <laughs> so awesome. anyone can contact me. I'll we'll give Family you a recipe. recipe. But uh, it's wonderful. Brilliant. Had it for Christmas, so you know. Oh, it must you're be not used to that, right? <laughs> you're not used to lasagna at Christmas. Yeah. You're missing out. Do you have a guilty pleasure that you just, you know, if you ever get time to yourself, you just, you know, into hmm. something? So the real one that I'm not going to talk about because I'm embarrassed, or no, computer games, love them. Like any kind of, are you like on the Xbox, PlayStation, or like a computer we PC type games? We can talk about games? any of the above. Really? But, uh, what do you like? Uh, I mean, I stopped playing Call of Duty a long time ago when I came to here to play, you know, to play college. Actually, right. no, I, after college I stopped because I knew if I invested $500 in a machine, I wouldn't get off it. There you go. It was Call of Duty and racing games for right. me. So I'm a little, uh, I'm a little on the old side to be that into Call of Duty okay. and the first person shooters lose sure. a little bit. Of their, yeah, that's, but, that's um, day job. Yeah, I like yeah. strategy games. Okay. Uh, strategy games are, are a passion of mine and I enjoy them. Are you online with headphones to chat to the Oh, rest I of the have world? it all. Yeah, yeah. sure. 
Okay. The uh, PAOs won't want me to put that out there. <laughs> Actually, it's great for recruiting today because you know what? That's what kids today do. Yes. So yes. Uh, that's my tie with the younger generation. Yeah. Uh, favorite genre of music or favorite artist? Heavy metal. Really? Yeah. Metallica, not Metallica, not, like yes. old school. Like so the younger heavy kids metal, are going to go with not that's like not heavy Norwegian death metal. Right. No Victor Norwegian Hoppe death metal, yeah. but uh, Metallica, et cetera. Okay. That's who I, I told my wife uh, a couple AC months ago. ACDC is probably my favorite. Yeah. I told my wife a couple of months ago, if there's anyone you want to surprise me with tickets, it's Metallica. She's like, really? You never listen to them? I'm like, no, but I want to experience them live. I went to a concert, Metallica yeah. concert, late. You know, my PA was like, I might have attended a Metallica concert. <laughs> <laughs> it's your life, sir. <laughs> is there a lot of that, like, when you're overseas, there's a lot of heavy metal music playing, or is it a lot of mix, country, You know, well, I think uh, there's mixed. I think okay. that... Um, People, uh, soldiers and airmen have a wide variety sure. of interests. I am not, I can't say this, I get in trouble, but country music may or may not be my most preferred genre. Well, you're coming uh, from Italian heritage. Absolutely. Uh, our soldiers love country music, and the country music community here in Oklahoma has always supported us. I think yeah. Toby Keith came to Afghanistan <laughs> right. uh, to visit, so we couldn't be more happy with uh, our Oklahoma music scene and their support of the National Guard. Yeah, last one. Um, just general advice. If you could say something to your, you know, 15-year-old self, what would you tell him? I would say make sure you join the National Guard. But uh, that's an easy one. You know, I think w when you're young like that, you think you know everything. Um, you don't listen to others. Uh, evaluate it. You don't have to do what, you know, quote-unquote older people say. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, you know, uh, older, more experienced people can give you some advice that can uh, really help you out. Yeah. Awesome. So well, I should have listened more. You should have listened more to all the people. <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for, for taking an hour of your day uh, to tell some stories and to um, share, share some light on the Oklahoma National Guard and the great things you guys are doing, uh, continue to do. Hopefully we don't have any natural disasters this tornado season, so you guys will be pretty chilled out and not too busy. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, for people listening, I'll put the links to the website, links to your Instagram, which is really good. Um, by the way, if you don't follow the Oklahoma National Garden Instagram, you should. Um, great content uh, down below, and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever. I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram, at diffieford.lincoln. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 
We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.